soy Romario Ibarra y estamos escuchando Son of the Loons. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by Callum Williams. Before we go any further here, I have to acknowledge that Cal's team, Aston Villa, beat West Brom, correct? Correct. Yesterday, in penalties, and can now return to the Premier League with a victory over the winner of today's Leeds versus Derby County game, which is happening right now as Mm -hmm. as we we record this podcast, uh, in the final, which is on Monday. Um, the 27th, Monday 27th, the 27th. Yes. Sorry, not this Monday. I meant, I meant Monday the 27th. Cal, talk to me about your feelings. Um, right now, I'll be totally honest. I have no idea where I am. Okay. Where were you yesterday while this game was happening? I was at Brits with um, a sprinkling of Aston Villa fans, which is great. The Minnesota uh, Lions, I believe they're called, the Aston Villa Supporters Club here. We all went and watched the game. I love that there's a Minnesota Aston Villa and Supporters Club. And me too. Club. I just, you know, it's wonderful, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, so we went and watched the game. Uh, my wife and I went and joined them um, and a couple of other people. And, uh, yeah, um, it was about as nerve-wrackingly brilliant as it possibly could be. Um <laughs> And obviously, there were some celebrations had afterwards. So, um, so I um, took Nyquil last night. I'm kind yeah. of getting over that. Is that about the effect? Is that that's about where you are right now? <laughs> I I just feel like I need a hug. Okay. <laughs> you know, I just I just want a cuddle. And um, I'll say right now, I'm willing to give you a hug. Okay. I, I'm not going to stop the podcast for it. But no, we'll, podcast. we'll have a good snuggle afterwards, shall we? Because okay. I, I do feel as though I could desperately do with one. Um, sure. Uh, but look, it, it's all in in. Uh, it's all for a good cause, <laughs> and that is celebrating the fact that Aston Villa may very well be um, just a, a couple of kicks away from Premier League football again, which um, fills me with with uh, a thrill and insight and excitement I, I haven't felt for Aston Villa for a long time. So, um, now, how long has Aston Villa been out of uh, EPL? Um, it was the 2015-16 season. Uh, I believe that okay. we, we went down and I commentated on the game at Villa Park that essentially sent Villa down. So it's um, your fault is what you're saying. All my fault, basically. Okay. You cool. know, they, they lost at home to Liverpool 6-0. Uh, yeah, it wasn't our finest hour and a half. And then... I mean, it was Liverpool done since then, basically. <laughs> um, you know, and then uh, we essentially, we had to go to Manchester United the next... Uh, game, the last game of the season, and get something, and, and Man United were, were decent that year, so we, we weren't going to get anything, you know. And it the, the goal difference was a, a very large number, so so essentially we, we knew we were down that day. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, I, I think being an Aston Villa fan has has been um, nothing short of repulsive over the last couple <laughs> of years. Um, so it's nice to you know we got to the playoff final last year and, and lost. Uh, to Fulham, and that was heartbreaking. Um, but now uh, I've just been 
with this football club throughout the entirety of my life, really, but particularly the last couple of years, I've just been used to pure disappointment. Sure. Um, I, I, you know, um, I feel a lot of Minnesotan sports fans have, uh, <laughs> have, have they, they had might that. might identify with that. Family. Exactly. Yes. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm slowly nurturing my way into becoming a Minnesotan now sure. with all of this. So, um, yeah, look, I, it, it was a great day. Um, Aston Villa, very much like Minnesotan sports teams always do it the hard way. Sure. Um, couldn't have just beaten them in normal time when they were down to 10 men. They had to go through the entirety of extra time and then to the dreaded penalty kicks, um, to which my mental state was on the verge of having kittens. But um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a good day. I, I, I'm glad I went and watched the game with a load of Villa fans as well. And um you know, bring on the final. Looking forward to it. So does uh, does Adrian Heath give you give you stick for being an Aston Villa Absolutely. fan? Absolutely, okay. right. loads of it. <laughs> Too much, in fact, considering he played for them for a brief time as well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it doesn't have a leg to stand on with regards to that. Then. No, it's it's hilarious. Every time um, we're on the road, particularly as well. You know, there's a small group of us. Um, who, you know, we always, uh, you know, we're traveling on the road, you tend to, to hang out and you're away from your families and, and friends. And, you know, so you, you hang out with people that you're, uh, you work with and, and whatever city we may be in, uh, in North America, we, we all try to make the, the best of the situation. And yeah, uh, we, we mainly talk about football, uh, but we talk about life as well. And, um, yeah, Adrian gives gives me a lot of abuse for supporting Aston Villa. Sure. Uh, as do the, the rest of the coaching staff as well, who have certain, um, allegiances elsewhere as well. So, uh, hey, it's it's all uh, it's all fun and games, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, as, as I said, I'm very much looking forward to the playoff final, uh, and, and even more so July 17th when they come to Allianz Field. Yeah, that's going to be exciting too. That's right. That we could be hosting a, a team in the Premier, Premier League. League team. Yeah, oh, let's hope. Right. So everybody in Minnesota needs to cheer for Aston Villa now. All right, there you go. There's your pitch. <laughs> all right, let's get into Chicago game against the Chicago Fire. You uh, have to. I was. <laughs> Fortunately, I was on vacation, so I did not watch it live. Um, I watched uh, a replay of it, um, which was disheartening in its own way, knowing knowing where it was going. Um, let's start. Well, let me give me your give me your takeaways from it. This is how we do everything. We talked to Adrian Heath, and we're just like, give me your give me your take on the on the game. So I'm going to say say the same to you. Um, I think if it was possible to put disappointment in capital letters in the middle of a sentence in the English language, I would say that's probably the best way to describe it. Okay. Um, it was riddled with it. I think there was a certain expectancy going into SeatGeek Stadium. Uh, for whatever reason that was, maybe it's because of the, the away form has been fairly decent this year. Sure. Um, maybe it's because the team were unbeaten in two going into it. Um you know, um, I, I I don't know. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of people had some some expectations going into it. And for whatever reason, I, I just felt as though there was a lack of, of sharpness from Minnesota United. I thought a, a chap who has been sensational since he's come in in, in Roma Metinia was, was not good at all. I thought that was his worst game in a loon's outfit. Mm-hmm. I thought Eric Miller was poor. I thought... Um, uh, Jan Gregus was was not great. Uh, I thought the front three um, looked like deers in headlights. Uh, I, I didn't think it was a good performance at all. And um, and I think the coaching staff have relayed that message that that's simply not good enough. And and if we are going to be considered, um, you know, postseason contenders, performances like that are simply nowhere near what we need. And, and I think I remember saying on the commentary actually, Steve, that if Minnesota went and won there, that would be when you really would start to think right. 
we're in serious business now. The, these guys look like a playoff team. Um, and, and they obviously didn't go and win. And, and um, you know, it, it poses a couple of more questions. And I think Adrian Heath has, has got some thinking to do moving forward. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll get to the next game. But but I am um, I am intrigued to see what he does because uh, I'll be stunned if he runs that lineup out again, that formation right. again. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, it, it obviously didn't work. And, and look, a credit where credit's due as well. I thought uh, Nico Gaetan, when, when he was playing, I thought he was tremendous in between the lines. Yeah. Um, Bastian Schweinsteiger was was great again. Um, you know, uh, it, it just uh, there's a reason why he's played at the highest level for the majority of his career, you know. And yeah. uh, I thought he was a class above. I thought Dax McCarthy was wonderful as well. So, um, yeah, look, it was disappointing. But, um, you know, Chicago have got a good team. Alexander Kataya I thought, caused a few issues as yeah, well. So, yeah. You know, Chicago, I, I, I would go as far as saying that's probably one of the better Chicago fire teams I've seen for a while now. Yeah, they're, they're, they're odd because you you sort of think of, I think if you think of the Chicago fire, like, well, they've been underwhelming. Um, you know, they, they, they don't, it seems like we should go into a, a game like that away, given earlier away form and be able to take something out of it. And then you sort of go down like the, you know, the, the roster that they have out there, they're starting 11. You're like, wow, they got some. They had some serious talent, you know, like Gaetan is obviously ran into shape. And then you just look across it. It's like, there's not a ton of, you know, you got Nikolic who's hasn't been as amazing, but was a golden boot winner. You know, there's like, there's a lot of talent there. It hadn't Mm -hmm. come together, but you know, sometimes this might be one of those games where you look back and you're like, well, that team was, was better than we thought they were at that moment. Like they are going to go on a run or something like that, or some team that you think looks good. I mean, think about like FC Cincinnati beating Portland early in the season. It was like, Oh man, like FC Cincinnati took it to Portland. Is this a sign that the FC Cincinnati is for real? It's like, no, it it was a lot more of a sign of the Timbers really not being in any kind of shape at that moment, you know? So it's kind of one of those things. I was curious, you know, in some ways, I mean, I think that from watching the game, obviously Chicago was much more energetic. There was a lack of of urgency on on Minnesota's side. But it, do you at all feel like maybe this is, you know, to lose two zero on the road doesn't feel completely out of place for a team that had put up like a goalless draw and a one zero win and a one one draw at home um, with this this formation, this sort of four three three that was like a little more defensively solid, but not as as creative going forward does that i mean obviously i think we we're we're probably gonna be looking for adjustments in the next game but in some ways could you sort of see it coming if you're looking at a team that sort of struggled to score some goals and held the line at home in low scoring games um but just wasn't able to get it done on the road yeah i think um i I think it's a little far-fetched for for people to start saying that we've really got to start worrying about the lack of goals because there haven't been a lack of goals. It's, you know, Minnesota are still within the top five in terms of goal scoring across the Western Conference. So it's it's not bad. Um, But no doubt two goals in four games isn't, going to cut it there's no doubt about that and and maybe they are lacking a little bit of creativity from the center of the park and, and so this is why I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see this next game and I wonder if, if Darwin Quintero comes in um, if he does he has to be the answer yeah he's the big designated player he's the, the so-called inverted commas number 10 he's um, he's the one that people look to he's the star of the team and the reason why he's not been playing recently he had a little niggle on his, on his ankle which I think the coaching staff were just being mindful of, um, but also, I, I don't think I, I don't think he he fits into um, the the style of play that the coaching staff wanted to implement on the road. 
um, for this last game. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite frankly, he's not been great in training as well. So Adrian now fortunately has a roster where he doesn't have to play somebody regardless of their performance in training, you know, whether they've been good or bad. Um, we now have the roster where we can we can drop somebody if, if they've not been great. Um, so we're very fortunate, you and I, we, we see training, um, you know, throughout the week and, and we see a lot of these things. And uh, I think a lot of people question why certain people aren't in the lineup from time to time. And, and look, a lot of it has to do with their efforts during the week. Sure. Adrian has has preached that the team picks itself. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree more. I think this coming game against Columbus, I would expect to see Quintero back in. I'd be stunned if he's not. It wouldn't surprise me if um, if then we have, um, you know, the, the combination of Gregush and Alonso in the centre again. Um, and I wonder, is there a change out wide? I mean, the sentimental thing to do is play Ethan Finlay for obvious reasons, being sure. a former crew player. Um, no doubt he'll be jacked up to play against his former employer. But I wonder if, the, if there's a change on the other side. You know, does Romario come in? Does Abu Dhanladi come in? Does Miguel Ibarra um, continue on? I, I don't know. Um, but there's no doubt that there is something that needs to, to change um, coming into this game. But it's, 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 not a, it's not a monumental issue. It's just we've lost a game away at Chicago and we just need to fix one or two little things. Yeah, it seemed it seems in some ways to have a, a sort of parallel to some of the defensive issues that got cleaned up, uh, you know, earlier, a few games earlier. Um, in terms of, at the time, Adrian was saying, you know, this isn't a this isn't a broad tactical problem. This isn't the team not having the shape that we want or failing to do this. It's it's individual errors. It's individual moments of a lack of focus. It's in some ways it seems like sort of the flip side on the. I mean, the Chicago game aside, because chance creation was not there. But in some of these other games, they've created chances. They just haven't finished those chances. So is it maybe uh, sort of this the same thing on the offensive end, where it's not like they're not creating chances. It's about individual moments of of clarity that focus sort of the opposite of losing focus, but you were mm. focusing and you finished some of those chances that just, that just went begging. Um, yeah. I think it certainly seems possible. I think that the, it, it's interesting to me because obviously the, the sort of shift to the four, three, three, um, you know, to having a little more, um, resolve in midfield has helped defensively for sure. Um, it seems like, and again, it, if the problem is moments of, of focus, then this isn't really contributing to it, but it's certainly possible that it is having some, it's pulling, it's having a somewhat of a negative pull on the offensive end. So how do you sort of like expand both of those? How do you keep that defensive solidity while mm-hmm. also sort of expanding with the options creatively on the offensive side? I mean, I right. think it, it's, it's obviously can't just be shifting focus. It's got to be expanding it. It's got to, you got to do, you got to do more. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you, that's probably the best way to put it, to be honest, Steve. But I, th- I think um, going up against the fire, the biggest issue out of anything was the fact that Bastian Schweinsteiger had the ball too much. Sure. And we we all, had all watched tape in the office, um, you know, over the the week and whatnot, and and everyone saw that when Schweinsteiger gets the ball, he steps forward, the two centre halves behind him, which at this stage were with Kappelhoff and, and, and Calvo, and they both tuck in. Um, and uh, he dictates, you know, and, and there was one even one time where, where Kappelhoff stepped up and, and Schweinsteiger dropped, mm-hmm. but, um, and Kappelhoff went into to nosebleed territory and went far too far yeah. up the field. But um, no, Schweinsteiger um, was the main outlet and, um, you know, at least to start things. And uh, Minnesota didn't do uh, anywhere near 
a good enough job to, to get the better of him and, and stop the, the initial service. So, um, you know, I think right now, um, I, I don't think Minnesota are moving the ball quick enough either as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's back to your point about transition and, and um, you know, having that balance. Uh, I think a lot of that balance comes from having a, a good holding midfielder as well. Obviously, we do. Hold up. And um, I think, you know, people know that Ozzy Alonso wasn't very well on um, right. on Saturday. Some, like, some flu symptoms or something? Or... I mean, he... Uh, so I saw him in the airport at MSP heading over to Chicago. And I actually gave him, uh, for, some, for whatever reason, I was upgraded to Delta Comfort or uh, whatever it is. And I, I felt so sorry for him, so I gave him my <laughs> ticket. So you obviously need this more than me. You yeah. need more room. Right. Um, when he he peered up towards me, he looked like... Something that would be crossed between a, a crying puppy and Gollum. Yeah. Like, he yeah. looked awful. I heard him say that he, he'd lost something like four or five pounds. Yeah, I mean, which... he, he, look, for me, he probably shouldn't play, to be honest. But, I mean, he's that important to us. Yeah, right. You yeah, know, you can't not play him, especially on the road. So, yeah. um, hey, look, I mean, he's uh, he's a top-class centre midfielder, um, holding midfielder that we've lacked for a long time. Hold up. And... Uh, you know, I, I think when Ozzy's one of these players that when Alonso plays well, the team tends to play well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's. Uh, so the season is about a third over. We're about a third of the way through the season, oh, which is crazy, isn't it? I know, right. <laughs> so the team is is four, four and three, six in the Western Conference. Um, a, a third of the way into the season is also known as the point where you can sort of start to say this is who this team is. I think that like they, we're, we're we're getting up to the place where the home and away records sort of even out. Um, teams are having. Uh, some teams are catching up with the double game weeks pretty soon. Everybody's going to sort of play the same number of games. Do you think that this is where Minnesota United is going to end up at the end of the season? Something like 45 to 48 points, 15 points right now and get into the playoffs as the sixth or seventh seed. I do. I think um, that was, uh, I think that was the original prediction in terms of placement in the table. Anyway, Um we Minnesota United seem to be that type of team that um, you know that they're good enough to be in the playoffs. They've yeah. obviously made some very good moves in the off season and, and bolstered the ranks, um, but at the moment not not quite good enough to to be considered one of the top teams in the West. So um, yeah, I, I absolutely would say yes. Minnesota are. are within that realm of finishing sixth or seventh. Yeah. Last year, uh, 48 points didn't get the Galaxy in. They came up a point short of the playoffs. But obviously that was with six teams. So uh, having seven teams should should expand that also. I think it's yep. also worth pointing out that uh, Minnesota United has 13 home games left and only 10 road games because of that imbalance at the start of the schedule. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think 45 to 48 is conservative um, given that it's been a little bit of a tougher schedule and that presumably – I mean, it's hard to say, but presumably the experience at Allianz Field just gets better and better. Um, the turf yeah. will get better. Uh, the, the team is now much more comfortable. Um, yep. The thing I talked to Ethan uh, earlier this week about, you know, just that sort of sense of like, you know, their families are settled. They know where their families go at the stadium. They know wh- where to go. They, they know when they get there what to expect. Like they, they start seeing things as familiar. That's kind of what home field advantage is built on. Yeah. And so I think as they, as they sort of work their way into that, I think, you know, you could see 50 points, maybe topping 50 points. Um, but that six, seven spot. And I think that's completely reasonable. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not, you look at teams like you look at a team like LAFC who are having a historic run. Like they're taking the Western conference. Like they're, yes. they're, they're taking it. Then you look at, you know, Seattle who are, 
very, very good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're just they just they're just a higher caliber team right now. It's okay. It's okay to be sixth or seventh and make another playoffs. Yeah, look, I mean, you're right. There's no shame in that, um, and, and it's an improvement on on previous years. You know, so um, look, uh, as you said, um, considering the amount of road games that we started with, this has been a good start to the season, in my yeah. opinion. And again, I saw people. Uh, getting the pitchforks out again over the the weekend, saying you know such and such uh, player, coach should go, whatever. And just come on, guys, it's it's uh, ten, eleven games in. You know we're we're okay, we're yeah. fine, we're, yeah. we are good where we are right now. Um, and I think uh, as we have said before, and as Adrian has said before, let's just wait and see now the next couple of games where we end up. And um, I think now that Allianz Field is becoming more comfortable, as you mentioned. It's becoming our home. I, I really do believe that it'll be a tremendous home advantage moving forward. Yeah. All right. So speaking of coaches that have, have gone, um, Bruce Arena has come mm. back, hired by the revolution. What do you think what do you think about having one person do this job of both sporting director and head coach? Because I have takes from the NBA on this, but I want to hear what you think. I'll be totally honest, I prefer it. I really okay. do. Okay. I really prefer it because um everybody <clears throat> Everybody in this sport has their own opinions. Everybody in this... That's absolutely true. Everybody in this sport... I don't know if that's a hot take. Should we say... Is it the... So hot right now. So hot. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody um, in this sport has their own ideas of what is a good player and what is not a good player. What fits the system, what doesn't fit the system... Who would provide balance here? Who wouldn't provide balance here? Who would score goals in this team? Who wouldn't score goals in this team? And such and such and such. I think if the decision ultimately comes down to one person, I think there's a lot more of an opportunity to to succeed. Um, now that the, there's plenty of counter arguments towards that, you know, there's there's so many. Uh, I'm going to GMs try them out. Uh, yeah, look, there's bit, there's, but... there's so many GMs and 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 head coaches that get along and, and it works really really well. Um, but I, that's not the case all the time. And, and I mean, look, I, the, the best one I can think of in terms of working is uh, Peter Vermees in, in Kansas City. You know, um, now Brian Bliss has, has been um, helping him out recently over the last couple of years. But the, all, all the signings, uh, apart from perhaps one, um, maybe two with the current roster, uh, all of them are Peter Vermees' signings. And look how successful they've been over the last couple of years. I know they're having a little bit of an issue right now, but that's purely down to injuries. Um I, I'm, I'm a. It, it's modern day football now with GM. It's modern day sports, I guess. Now with with having a GM and a manager, um, I get the need for a for a GM, but I also don't think they are an absolute necessity. All right, I um, I don't. I'm not sure how this is going to work in 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 MLS. Um, obviously, Peter Vermees is a good example of it being successful. Great company um, as well. Yes. Um, I mean, it's it, it certainly happened. I don't know if this if it's it's different in the NBA. This became the rage four to five years ago. Um, was integrating these positions into one position. You had a bunch of coaches who were also GMs. Tom Thibodeau for the Wolves was one of them. Um, Stayman Gundy for the Pistons. Uh, Doc Rivers with the Clippers. Uh, I'm, there's a couple others that I'm forgetting. None of them are still in that position. Right. All those coaches have been fired um, or removed from their GM duties. Uh, the only one who's really successful in that way is Greg Popovich, um, who is the de facto GM. 
Uh, he's not, he doesn't have that title. RC Buford has that title in, in San Antonio, but RC Buford is largely there to execute. I think, I mean, I think he provides a certain counterweight in terms of, you know, it, them figuring stuff out, but Greg Popovich is sort of where the buck stops for a lot of things there. I think there's a lot of parallels between the Spurs and, and sporting Casey actually, in terms of how their teams are built, their small markets, the culture is extremely strong. Um, the leadership is extremely strong. Uh, they get guys who buy into that. Um, so I think there's some, some, some parallels there, but I think people saw Popovich and said, this is the way to do this. And then it's very difficult to duplicate that. Mm. Um, I think there's, I think there's something to be said for having multiple viewpoints working sometimes together and sometimes oppositionally in order to create something. And I think that one of the problems you run into with the guy who signs the checks being the same guy who runs practice is sometimes you need a coach to simply have limits. Like this is the roster you have, right? You do what you can with that. If you're, if you're constantly like both thinking about how to change that roster and how to coach that roster, that can pull you in two directions in a way that can sometimes not work, I think. Mm. Um, And also just in terms of the relationship of the players, knowing that the coach is also making decisions about how much money they're going to make can get complicated. Um, it can be sometimes a little bit easier to have a sort of good cop, bad cop situation, right? There's somebody else who's made, who's pulling the purse strings and the coach is simply responsible for what happens on the field of play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given that, I think that one thing that I think sets the sets new England up for success is that the expectations are extremely low for the new England revolution. Um, generally speaking, yep. I mean, yep. e- 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 this isn't, this is a, a team that has not succeeded for many years. Um, you know, so I think Vermees probably benefited from taking over SKC at a moment where, you know, there were no expectations sure. um, and molding it into something. If Bruce Arena can, has the patience to do all the work, it's just tough because when you're a sporting director, you have to go, you have to travel, you know, like you have to go scout you do. players. You have to go do all the stuff at the same time as you're in training all the time during the week. Like he's going to need a good staff around him. That's going to have to help out with that stuff. Um, and obviously arena is not, it's not like hiring some rando <laughs> to be your coach and GM. He has a history of success in MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you think that this, the other question I think is that, is this, is this a sign that the revs are, are getting serious about becoming a good team or is this, like too big a move. Is this like a band-aid type? We're going to just like wrap the whole thing in gauze by giving one guy all this power or is it a good move? Like, I, you know, I think about Rooney last year, right? Where when Rooney was going to come to DC United, I sort of thought, I don't know if this roster is going to benefit from one huge player coming in. Um, the roster doesn't, didn't feel like it had been built in a methodical way. And so it sort of felt maybe like they were going to bring in a, a star to sell tickets at their new stadium, but I don't know if it was going to work out. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't wrong in the sense that I think that they did get one guy, but he did make a huge difference. I mean, he made, he, I mean, he turned Acosta into an amazing player. <laughs> Wayne Rooney um, is and he, still and fabulous. He, and he worked his, you know, he worked his butt off. That's the other thing that, it, I mean, we talked about it, is that he wasn't going to come in and sort of like slouch his way through sort of a pre-retirement. Like he he's worked his butt off. Um, but I don't know. Do you think that the arena move is, is it a sign that, that there is going to be real investment there? Or is it a sign that they're simply saying, well, let's write this one big check and then they'll take care of it. So a few things on this. I'll sort of, um, rekindle my, um, not rekindle, I'll, I'll re-amend my previous statement by saying I'm, I'm a fan of of the GM and, and coach combination. 
as long as they work together, obviously. Sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that any coach and a GM should be challenged and, and should always be thinking outside the box and, and have other ideas, you know, and, and, and having a, a combination of, of those two roles that they are supposed to, to challenge each other. Um, I think with, with the Revs, there is absolutely no way that Bruce Arena takes this job without him having some hardcore promises. Now, mm-hmm. I, I would say he's come in and has been promised a lot. The ownership group, the Crafts, they've obviously said that they are going to commit to spending because there was a designated player that they tried to sign, which failed in the end. Um, and, and to my knowledge, I was told that the the whole deal was worth $14 million. That was the transfer fee and the players' wages. Mm-hmm. So they are willing to spend. Right. I would also say that Bruce Arena, I'd be surprised if he went in there without a stadium plan and showing sure. that there's going to be some progression moving forwards. Um, and again, we're, we're fortunate we hear all these little whispers around uh, the MLS world and, and, and the whispers are that, that the Revs perhaps may very well be getting that stadium uh, in the near future. Um, I, I, I think it's a good appointment for the Revs, I really do. And I, and I know there's still a very sour taste in the mouth when you think of Bruce Arena in this country because of the failure to qualify for the World Cup and, right. and all that kind of stuff. But, but his, his record... really on him. I mean, it's not solely well, that's debatable, on yeah, yeah, but I... I, I mean, like, it, the, right. The job was done. It was done in a certain way. I think, but I think that th- there was issues with the program overall pro- before absolutely, he Prior to him up, arriving, so, absolutely yeah. agree with that. Sure. But um, I, I honestly, um, I think that, that Bruce Arena, um, his track record speaks for itself. He's the only coach that's won five MLS Cups. Um, he's obviously uh, had success with the U.S. national team. Uh, let's right. not forget, you know, he won the Gold Cup and everything, and uh, twice, I believe, and he's had success in uh, in MLS, and um, it, it's it's a good appointment. Push aside the failure to qualify for the World Cup, it's a good appointment. Um, I'm interested to see now what happens in a few different avenues. Number one, uh, can he coach in what is a very new Major League Soccer in this era where we have Tam and Gam and all this new terminology and whatnot. Right. The last time he coached in the league was 2016, which isn't that long ago, but the league has considerably changed sure. since then. Yeah. Um, my other concern for... I started working in MLS since then, so he hasn't, he's not familiar with MLS. He's not familiar with you at all. You know? yes, I mean, that's so. unreal. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, I... I I, I do have a little concern that he may very well go go back to what he's comfortable with, um, which may very well work, but I, I I worry if he'll go and sign players that he's familiar with that perhaps aren't their best anymore, uh, but also some of them might be good signings as well. I, I just it, It's a really intriguing uh, signing for, for the Revs, this one is, because they, they certainly need a kick up the backside. And if anyone's going to do it, it is him, because he comes in and he... He oozes culture, no doubt about it. And anyone who I've spoken to about, about Bruce Arena, they all say he's an assertive human being mm-hmm. and he knows what he wants. And um, if I was uh, a Revolution fan, I wouldn't get too comfortable um, 
and too close with the current crop of players because yeah. I just don't think that uh, he'll, um, you know, as I said, any, any chance he has to bring in his own people, I think he'll jump at it. I was going to say, I think any rev any revolution player shouldn't get too comfortable. I mean, maybe at least you see the best out of this roster because they all know. I mean, aside from Carlos Hill, like they're probably all fighting for a spot at this point. Like, I mean, yeah. based on, you know, I was reading up on him when he took over the galaxy and he pretty quickly ripped it down to the studs and oh, remade yeah. that team. So if that's going to be his MO, I mean, Hill is great. <laughs> Yep. He's he's probably the only shoe in. I don't know. I don't know who else is for sure being kept. There. I think there's one or two others. That I mean, I they could play their way into it. I mean, there's always those players. I mean, this is okay. Complete digression, but um, like Brent Coleman, right? Yeah. I wonder at what point he gets tired of every year having to play his way into the starting 11 because, you know, it's like every season it's like so far, this is the third season. It's like, he doesn't start out there and he just, proves his worth. Mm. You know, he works his way into that starting 11. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the tallest guy. He's not the best passer. He's no, but it's like what he gives to the team is, is it, he just gives it all, you know, and that's, and that's huge. And it's like, he's played his way into starting, you know, every season. <laughs> yeah. But I think that Brent has a really unique situation because the first year in MLS, he came in as an unproven NASL player, right. made his way into the team. The second season, he had a poor preseason, and I think even he will admit sure. that. So he, again, had to prove himself to get back in. The third season, we bought in Ike Opara, and Michael Boxall has a, a considerable more amount of experience than Brent Coleman does, um, not only in MLS, but on, on the world footballing stage as well. So he was the obvious one to start. And again, Brent Coleman comes in and proves himself. So yeah. I, I know what you're saying, and, and it's, it's, a, it's um, you know, a credit to, to the man himself, for doing this three years in a row. Yeah. But he, he, he has... There's different circumstances, yes. Yeah, he has yeah, been yeah. presented with a unique circumstance at the start of every season. And, and you know, as I said, well well done to him for, for overcoming all those obstacles for yeah. sure. We'll just see how it is next year when he's he's not started in the first game. Yeah. See how long it takes him. So, um, let's look ahead to Columbus a little bit, the Columbus crew. Uh, we touched on some of this stuff before, so, the, uh, yeah, so we're sort of circling back a little bit. Um, we talked about if, we're, if there's going to be a move away from the 4-3-3. Do you see a move happening i think you felt like you're yeah you absolutely see it. maybe a return of the four two four two three one you think yeah i'd be stunned if they didn't do it or really, something really completely would. different the uh the oh, two don't, two yeah. five um, don't. um no <laughs> <laughs> i think um you know i've managed to watch a little bit of tape on columbus what are we now wednesday yes yep. who knows what day it is um and uh whenever it was that i watched some tape um you know i noticed that um whenever the ball goes past the two central midfielders of trap and artura the back line drop rapidly, mm -hmm. thus meaning space for Darwin Quintero or whoever would play in that 10 role. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if um, if we went back to that 4-2-3-1 and, and uh, Darwin Quintero, um, you know, came back into the fray. And and look, I, if I'm Adrian Heath, that's exactly what I do because Minnesota need a win. We need a win against teams like this at Allianz Field. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And to do that, you need to rely on your best players. Darwin Quintero is obviously amongst that category. What I'm interested now in, Steve, and we are going to talk about this on our pregame show on, on FSN Plus on Saturday, um, and I think for the very first time in his Minnesota United career, there is a little bit of pressure on Darwin Quintero to deliver because now the team could do with an extra bump forward the team could do with an extra push in the, in a positive direction mm -hmm. a player like him and a player of his caliber was brought in to inject that positivity was brought in to be the main man so if i'm adrian 
I put him back in and I tell him, you better deliver. You're here for a reason. Yeah. This is why you're here, yeah. to deliver in these types of games. And um, knowing Darwin like I do, uh, I, I already know he's he's desperate to get back into the starting eleven. Wants to wants to play as, as you would expect. But knowing him like I do and his, his personality, he'll want to to make his mark once again. Adrian Heath said he'll he'll have his his time. He'll make his mark. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, it's not been the right time to play him, as I mentioned, because of the um, myriad of reasons. But um, as I said, if I was Adrian, I would say this is your time. This is your time to shine. Yeah, it seems like it seems like there's there the the sort of attacking partnership of Darwin and Angelo. Obviously, it's been up and down the last several weeks with Darwin not always in the lineup, but um, Angelo has shown a lot of grit and determination in his role as the sort of the, the holdup man. You know, um, it seems like Darwin and Angelo haven't quite gotten on the same page um, this season in terms of you know making their, their their roles sort of meld together. Do you think that's do you think there's something Again, this question of is there a fundamental change or is it simply like Darwin has not quite been Darwin yet and when Darwin is Darwin, it will it will click? Or what's what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, absolutely what you've just said. I just don't think Quintero's been great so far this season. And, you know, we say that with him having five goals on the campaign already, but four well, of them came from the penalty spot. A lot spot. of penalty so, kicks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, I, I, yeah, I just look, I, I have no problem saying I just don't think Darwin Quintero has started as, as well as people would have liked him to. So, uh, but again, look, uh, knowing him like we do, he'll want to fix that as quickly as he can. And, yeah. um, you know, as you said, Angelo has, has has given us some real positive moments moving forward. Um, I think his hold-up play has been fabulous. Um, you know, as I've said before, I'm still not convinced he's, he's a player that will get you 15, 20 goals a year. Right. But that's okay if, if the players behind him get, you know, 10 goals each or whatever. I, th- I think that's okay. You know, and he chips in with six or seven, great, no problem at all. So, um, you know, uh, again, though, um, I say that, I, I would expect more from Darwin, though. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying Darwin's going to go and get 20 goals, but he, you know, this, um, this is his time to shine, and, and he, and he needs to deliver now moving forward if we are going to, to really start putting the, the foot on the gas. Um, we need performances and good performances from players like him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of Columbus, I feel like sort of somewhat like you know Chicago, obviously a talented team, but they've been underperforming woefully recently, losing mm. six of their last seven. What, what's What's going on with the crew? I think um, a lot of it comes down to obviously a new coach in Caleb Porter. Um, it takes time to to get things ready. We we saw it, didn't we, with Minnesota United the first two seasons? And um, you know, I think uh, um, for me as well, you know, I've played a lot of games recently as well. I've had a lot of Saturday, Wednesday games, or Saturday, Tuesday. Um, I think uh, Federico Higuain has has been okay. He started well. Um, Wide players haven't been as effective as I think they would have liked. They they lost Milton Venezuela mm-hmm. um, to a season-ending injury. Uh, I I don't know if they have been um, as impressed with the lad uh, Robinho as I think they thought they were going to be. Pedro Santos has, has come in and, and has been okay. Um, you know, and and the only player that they seem to have been really thrilled with so far has been Jassy Zardes. Yes, who just um, became a DP. Who just became a DP, and, and for for very good reasons. And I love that, by the way. And, and I'm, I think I might have said this to you before. I'm a big proponent of of adding another designated player spot to the rosters and having it be an American DP spot, and mm. just you know, because then you you have the chance to to keep the likes of of Jassy Zardes. And you know, but whilst I'm always I'm up for look, every league is a selling league. I'm I'm all um, up for and and completely understand the likes of. 
Tyler Adams going away and whatnot, and um, it looks good for the league. I, I get it. But if you have that American designated player spot, I think you have a chance to keep some of those types of players. So anyway, that's another debate for another day. But um, I, um, you know, obviously Zach Steffen is, is off. He'll be leaving to, for Manchester City here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think he has a little injury, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure he'll play, which is a shame. Um Looking forward to seeing him. It's not a shame from a Minnesota United point of view, because uh, for me he's probably the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't really, I don't really have a definitive answer right now as to what's wrong with Columbus Crew. I just think at the moment, um, right now they're trying to figure things out under a new head coach. Yeah. Well, they're you know they've sort of when they've been a powerhouse, they've been a powerhouse because of the the entire package, like and and they. It's not been like the star power. It's mm. sort of been like the system is excellent. Berhalter's system was working so well. They knew how to execute it. Um, there was consistency. Sort of like, I mean, it obviously very different teams in a lot of ways, but SKC in terms of it's like it's a system, and this is like you buy into this system. Um, and so I think sometimes with teams like that, they're not going to get carried by, you know, you look at the LA Galaxy, and it's like as Laton goes, so the rest of the team goes often. Um, when Zlatan is out, they play an entirely different brand of soccer in some ways a more attractive brand of soccer, but yep. Zlatan is so talented. Like he drives it. I think with the crew, it's kind of like, you got to kind of get all the pistons firing. And if all the pistons aren't firing, then it, you can kind of just sink below that level and you just are not quite living up to it. So, I mean, I'm sure they're looking at this game as we're going to try to get a win and, and, and get right, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think the crew wouldn't surprise me at all if they came in and, um, and sat back and tried to hit on the, on the counter. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Uh, go fairly direct. Um, maybe they go to a four, three, three that they, you know, uh, played with little formation twinges here and there throughout the, the entirety of the season so far. Wouldn't surprise me if they did somewhat of a four, three, three. Um, and as I said, Went uh, went very direct. Um, you know, David Guzman has, has been decent since he's come in as well for them. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they played with sort of three central midfielders and tried to, to control the central midfield, but be very direct and, and play it up to, um, you know, a rather speedy centre forward in the shape of Jassy Zardas. It wouldn't surprise me. But look, for me, Steve, that the, the simple answer from a Minnesota United point of view is this. You have to win these kind of games. I think if, if Minnesota United don't win this game, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, you know, the pressure's on or anything, but um, I, I genuinely think if we can label Allianz Field a fortress, you have to win these types of games, regardless of if it's East or Western opponent coming in against a team that has, has had as many losses, as you mentioned, over the last couple of games, coming into it not in great form, you have to win this game. Yeah. I mean, it's undefeated Allianz Field. You want to keep that going. I think that's going to be a huge motivation. So, well, thanks for joining us for the 57th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on. Wait a second. I've got this wrong. Saturday, May 20. No, this is wrong. I messed it up. I was going to talk about the uh, the international friendly coming up. So we're playing Columbus this week. That's this, this weekend. Um, but I wanted to mention the the, the, the Bundesliga. We're playing... The Hertha game, yes. Yeah, yeah we're playing Hertha Berlin. Uh, uh, the, the, that's Wednesday, right? Yes. Uh, international friendly at Allianz Field at 7 p.m. So that's going to be that's gonna be super fun. And it's also on FSN Plus, so looking yep. forward to doing that game. Uh, speaking to a lot of people, a lot of ex-colleagues um, who I worked with uh, covering the Bundesliga. Hertha have had a good season. Um, they've got a couple of really good players. Um, so... And look, it's, it's it's another game at Allianz Field. Why why wouldn't you want to come out and, and watch um, some of Europe's uh, top soccer? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's given me a lot of fun. I got ahead of myself because I, you know we have a lot of games coming up. So we have of, all the games coming <laughs> up. Yeah. Blue Pass this weekend's <laughs> game. Anyways, uh, the, the game this weekend is on Fox Sports North. 
Plus. Okay, that's, that's now all my information's all mixed up. <laughs> they're both on Fox Sports North Plus and on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating, and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Entris. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>